Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 12, verse 22 through 23, and verse 27 through 31. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider how the wild fields grow, uh, flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever received a text message from your child or grandchild and thought, what language is this? Here's an example of such a conversation. So the son says, Mom, why did you call? Did someone die? Can't talk, RN. The mom says, no, everyone's fine. I'm just missing you and wanted to check in. The son responds, NBD, TBH, I am just so busy, RN, no time to talk, can you HMU later? Then the mom responds, what? If it's Greek to you, it's Greek to me too. So I had to actually look this up. So the son says this, mom, why did you call? Did someone die? Can't talk, RN, right now? The mom says, no, everyone's fine. Um, I'm just missing you and wanted to check in. The son responds, NBD, which means no big deal. TBH, to be honest, I am just so busy, RN, right now. No time to talk. Can you, HMU, hit me up later? If you are anything like me, you might believe that this is evidence of the downfall of literacy. <laughs> and thoughtful writing ability of our children and youth. But nothing can be further from the truth, according to John McWhorter V, an associate professor of English and comparative literature at Columbia University. He suggests that this is, in fact, evolution of language. According to McWhorter, language is always evolving, more and more complex, richer and richer by the year, and right now, it's all happening at the fingertips of our 16-year-old teens. McWhorter says, the grumbling of the older generation, that's us, by the way, if you didn't know, that our teens lack linguistic skills is us underestimating our teens. It's history repeating itself. McWhorter cites these quotes as evidence. Here's a quote from an English professor at a small college in 1956, well before the existence of texting. Quote, Many do not know the alphabet or multiplication table, cannot write grammatically, and seem to have been trained to hate mental exercise. 
Often they cannot read intelligently and dislikes any reading, end quote. Here's what a Connecticut school teacher said in uh, 1917, um, before that, quote, from every college in the country goes up the cry. Our freshmen can't spell, can't punctuate. Every high school is in despair because its pupils are so ignorant of the merest rudiments, end quote. And Charles Eliot, the Harvard president in 1871, this is before electricity uh, um, existed, quote, bad spelling, incorrectness as well as inelegance of expression and writing, ignorance of the simplest rules of punctuation, and almost entire want of familiarity with English literature are far from rare among young men of 18 otherwise well-prepared for college studies, end quote. And here's the last one. In 63 AD, a man writes in Latin, quote, Spoken Latin has picked up a parcel of words considered too casual for written Latin, and the grammar people use when speaking has broken down. The masses barely use anything but the nominative and the accusative. It's gotten to the point that the student of Latin is writing in what is to them an artificial language, and it is an effort for him to recite in it decently, end quote. Well, it so happens this last quote Uh, This man was actually writing about what had later developed into the French language. (laughs) So, according to McHorter, we should pay more attention to our young people because they are performing a miracle right under our noses. So, let that soak in, okay? Let that soak in. So, today, we are talking um, about one of these evolved words that young people use, FOMO. So FOMO is an acronym for fear of missing out. It's not uh, something that is made up or something that only applies to young people. FOMO is real, and it is universal. it's a universal human experience. The Bible calls it coveting, and more recently we might call it the feeling of never enough, the pursuit of happiness, or keeping up with the Joneses. We might be most familiar with FOMO when we go shopping. Most marketing uh, strategies are built to play on our FOMO. Marketing basically says this, you absolutely need this item. Everyone has one. When this item is gone, you might never have another chance to have it. When you realize you want it, it might be too late. You need to buy it now, not later. This is a great deal, don't miss out. Now, I remember when um, Stacy, my wife, and her uh, friend heard about a chance to get a free trip to Mexico when she went to a wedding expo while she was planning for our wedding. They told her all she had to do was attend a presentation about vacation ownership, Uh (laughs) uh-oh, which is kind of like a timeshare but with uh, hotels. So I decided to come along just in case Stacy and her friend were talked into buying this vacation ownership. I went saying, they aren't going to trick us into buying anything. Well, right after the presentation, all Stacy and her friend repeated to the salesman was, no, we are not going to buy anything. We want our free trip. It was impressive. On the other hand, I came out of that presentation saying, we would be stupid not to buy this. 
I didn't want to miss out on this deal that I thought was the deal of a lifetime. I admit the FOMO was very strong in me. Luckily, Stacy stopped me. We ended up not buying anything, and we did get our free honeymoon to Riviera Maya, Mexico. The common midlife crisis is another expression of FOMO. We perceive that we have fewer good ears ahead of us than behind us, and we become afraid of missing out. For this reason, we might buy a nice fancy sports car or more expensive jewelry, suddenly disconnect with our old friends for new friends, or make a major career change. In his book, Adam Hamilton even talks about men and women who came into his office saying that FOMO led them to cheat on their spouse. Of course, in an age of technology that we're living in, we can't talk about FOMO without talking about social media. Social media can be the perfect FOMO-producing machine. First, we recognize that social media, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or whatever medium that you use, do help us connect with one another in ways we couldn't before. It helps us connect with long-lost friends from all over the world. We simply have to just type in their name. Social media also helps us keep in contact with family and friends who are difficult to visit on a regular basis. I love watching my cute little niece sing, dance, and play with her little dog. In this way, social media helps connect us to one another. But social media can also be detrimental to our mental health. It can feed our FOMO. How many of us have seen pictures of our friends out with others and thought, why wasn't I invited? FOMO. How many of us compulsively check our posts every three minutes? Some of you, I know you want to check your phones right now to see how many likes or comments we have or to see what others are posting. FOMO. I, did I just hear a phone? <laughs> Far worse. How many of us post multiple times a day because we feel obligated to constantly update our social media profile, telling everybody where we are, where we're going, uh, what we're doing, who are we with, and yes, what we are eating. I don't understand why people want to post pictures of food all the time. Basically, when we don't have our hands on our phones, our hands start to itch. Or... Maybe you're not the one addicted to social media, but you are a victim of it nonetheless. You might be sitting with your family for dinner in awkward silence, and this is the scene right in front of you. What happened to that nice you know, family conversation around the dinner table? Technology helps us connect, but when we overconnect, we can have, it can have the reverse effect. It can keep us from connecting with one another. Through social media, we look at other people's lives and we want what they have, forgetting that what we see is not always grounded in reality. Yes, the Joneses look very happy in their family photo, but we don't see the big fight they just had five minutes before taking that photo. No one posts pictures of themselves arguing with their family. Yes, our friend Bob looks so happy in his fancy new sports car, but that picture doesn't show us that he is struggling to make payments every month. 
Yes, our cousin Lucy looks like she has such a fun life traveling the world, but it doesn't show that she has a ton of loans, zero savings, and no retirement plan. We need to remember that we like to only show the best and the happiest moments of our lives to others on social media. Therefore, when we see what others have and covet, we are wanting something that doesn't exist in reality. We put up illusions and then chase illusions. Social media can be the perfect FOMO-producing machine. Now, King Solomon knew FOMO all too well, even in biblical times. Just listen to what King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 2. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I also had great possessions of herd and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and of the provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and delight of the flesh and many concubines. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Because of the fear of missing out, Solomon chased all sorts of things. He tried to fill himself with wealth, palaces, horses, and wives. Many, many, many wives. Scripture, in fact, tells us he had 1,000 wives, of which 700 were princesses and 300 concubines. Talk about a major FOMO problem. In the end, what did Solomon learn from his pursuit of not missing out? His pursuit of happiness, keeping up with the Joneses? In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 11, he writes this, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had spent in doing it. And again, all was vanity and a chasing after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon learned that none of it satisfied him. It was all vanity. It was all meaningless. So, what do we do? What do we do about FOMO? We might think the easy answer is to turn it all off. Get rid of Facebook, get, it, get off of it, get rid of all the cell phones. But that wouldn't help us deal with FOMO because social media is not the reason for FOMO, it's just a medium for it. To help deal with FOMO, Greek and Roman philosophers suggest we retrain our minds. We retrain our minds for happiness. We make it a habit to want what we already have, not what we don't yet have. In his book, a Guide to the Good Life, The Ancient Art of Stoic Joy, William Irvine notes that this is the power of praying before our meal three times a day. Even if our meal is a bowl of porridge, when we count our blessings, when we give thanks to God for the hands that got it to the table and for the people around our table, 
we will become more grateful. Our culture, uh, other cultures have known this for a long time. In Korea, we are taught at a very young age to say, 잘 먹겠습니다 before we eat our meal, which means we will eat it deliciously. In Japan, everyone says, "itadakimasu" before they eat, which means I will humbly receive this meal. And it's not just kids doing it, it's uh, adults too. And it's not even a religious act, but it's done religiously. Now, even in marriage, none of that, she knows I'm thankful for her, he knows I'm thankful for him. We need to make a deliberate effort to tell our spouse how thankful we are for him or her before we go to bed. We need to cultivate a culture of gratitude. A very wise person by the name of Jerry Seinfeld said this, Dogs have no money. Isn't that amazing? They're broke their entire lives, but they get through it. An infinitely wiser person by the name of Jesus said this, quote, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. God knows that you need them. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you. Brothers and sisters, let us go forth looking for the blessings in our own lives, giving thanks for what God has already given us, and seeking the kingdom of God, not wealth, palaces, horses, or many, many wives or husbands, or what the Joneses have. Our God, the God of abundance, already knows what we need. Amen.